Hi everybody, this is Megan. Um, I just wanted to make one quick note before you dive into this episode with Sarah. And that is uh, at a certain point we start talking about therapy and the importance of finding a therapist. And Sarah opened up that she actually hasn't, had not been able to find a therapist since moving to Michigan. But she wanted me to update and I thought it was important too to share that since recording this episode, she has found a therapist. So just wanted to share that because this podcast, we talk a lot about therapy and are open about finding a therapist that matches with you. So we just wanted to give that little caveat. And other than that, I hope that you enjoy this episode. As always, feel free to reach out with questions or comments or thoughts, really anything. I'm open to hearing it. Thanks. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Shine a Light podcast. This is Megan. I am back with another family member, <laughs> this time not not by blood, but somebody who married into my family. So I'm going to have you introduce yourself. Okay. I'm Sarah Carolyn. I am married to John Carolyn, which is Megan's older brother. And I have known Megan for, you're not going to believe this, it's been f- like 15 years. No, no, it hasn't. Yeah, it has been since I started dating your brother. Oh my God. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> that's really crazy. Um, and what do you want to shine a light on? Today, I want to shine a light on obsessive compulsive disorder, also known as OCD. It's it's hard to call it OCD sometimes. I know we're going to get into it, yeah. but it's hard to call it that because so many people relate that to jokes or punchlines or something like... Oh, I totally have that. So um, obsessive compulsive disorder makes it sound more official. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Um, Why is this important to you? This is important to me for a couple of reasons. One, I have it. I live with it every day. And it's something I'm not afraid to talk about, but it rarely comes up in discussion. Right. So it's hard to... It's hard to work that in, but if someone were to ask me about it, I, I 100% go into it. I'm not afraid of it. I'm not, I'm living with it. So um, I really wanted to, I like to take every opportunity possible to fight the stigma, to fight the stigma against that mental health in general should not be something we're afraid of. Mm-hmm. And so I am hopeful that people hearing this will feel more comfortable with being who they are. Yeah, I'm really glad that you are open to talking about this. I definitely think that this is something people don't know a lot about. Um, So before we even get into like your history with obsessive compulsive disorder, I wanted to really define it for people who are listening who might not quite understand what it actually is. I think there's a lot of misconceptions, like you said. It's not only just often associated with like keeping things clean, but it's also thrown around as an adjective like, oh my God, you're so OCD. And that makes me cringe and kind of makes me like ball my ball my hands into a fist um, because it's a legitimate mental health diagnosis that can be very debilitating. So all that being said, can you explain to people listening what OCD actually is? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so just as a, you know, I, I can speak for it from my diagnosis and my experience, it is something that is presents itself differently in every single person that has it. So just like anything else, everyone's experience is completely different, but it's, it's so much more, sometimes the ticks and the physical things that people see, um, washing your hands or locking the door a bunch of times, checking the stove, things like that are, um, a product of OCD or a symptom of it, not necessarily the disease. Right. The disease is what happens in your brain that people can't see. You could be sitting completely quietly and someone will think, wow, she's just, she's so chill. She's so relaxed. But your head is inside your head. It's moving so quickly that you're debilitated. I mean, you, you can't move Mm -hmm. because all you're doing is obsessing about 
things. It's it's an it's a constant obsession in your brain, and there's there's different kinds of obsessing. There's worst case scenario scenario ing. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's the, <laughs> <laughs> the right term. But so so the different things you do, you do worst case scenario about everything, and you go through your head every single thing that could happen. That's the worst case scenario, and I'm not talking like someone can get in a car accident when they leave. I'm talking like if I leave the house and the door is unlocked, someone's going to break in and they're going to kill my dog and then I'm going to have to come home and find... Like, stuff like that that is truly terrible that you continue to think about that you can't not think about. You can't control it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also black and white thinking where you think it has to be this way or it can't be done. It has to be this way or something bad's going to happen. It has to be this way. It has to feel 100% correct, which is where you'll often see people repeating themselves or you'll see people doing things multiple times because it didn't feel right the first time. It has to feel completely right. Um, There's also... Gosh, I'm trying to go through all of them that we went through. Yeah, I mean, my understanding is like... And you can tell me if I'm wrong, but OCD is very much... You get thoughts in your head that like you cannot let go of kind of in yeah. a way. So is that accurate? That's a huge yeah. part of it. Yeah. yeah. That's a huge part of it about the obsession. So there, like I had mentioned before, there are different kinds, but essentially what it is is getting things in your head that you, you cannot get out. You can't rationalize them. Your ability to rationalize with obsessive compulsive disorder is zero. You have no ability to do it. Mm-hmm. You will think something and you will even have the second thought of this isn't rational and then it doesn't matter. Right. You can't you can't rationalize. Right. I mean, there are a lot of really really out there things you can think. Right. And that's kind of why it's also associated with anxiety and depression because you're anxious about the thoughts that you're having and then I can totally see how someone would get then depressed because of that because they can't let go of that thought and so they just kind of want to hide away and not mm-hmm. face anything. Is that Sure. Kind of yeah, absolutely. Okay. I mean, with the worst case scenario thinking, for instance, I mean, can you imagine thinking about that kind of stuff all the time? Right. That, of course, is going to make you feel scared all the time mm-hmm. or terrible all the time or you... tired. Yeah, exhausted from from thinking like that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we kind of talked about this, but there are different kinds of OCD. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Um, what are the symptoms? You, you touched on this a little bit. What are some of the symptoms that you experienced? Or have experienced? I did a couple of things. I can tell you specifically, um, it was the first year of my marriage was when I really started seeing somebody. And um, I know we'll get into all the history, but the things that were happening included, I would go to bed at night and check my alarm to make sure it was on, but I would check it 50 to 100 times. Mm -hmm. It would just constantly like click, 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 clicking it back and forth to make sure that it was on. Um... And I didn't know at the time, I didn't know what I was afraid of happening. So I just would constantly check that. I I checked the backseat of my car a lot um, because of the thoughts that were going through my head. So you had to check because of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Obsessing about it. And and I've found in the years since I've been diagnosed, the times that it's the worst are when I'm really stressed out about something. Mm -hmm. So it feels like you can control it until you have so many other things going on that it just kind of slips away. So um, those were some of the things I was doing that I I could tell myself, like, this feels like not something people do all the time. Right. This feels like, it doesn't feel like people get up every single day and are scared that their house is broken into overnight. And so they have to, like, pep talk themselves to leave the apartment or um, that doesn't feel right. Mm-hmm. Um, and had you experienced this all your life or was did this kind of come on later as an adult it came on full force as an adult okay um but as i look back there are definitely things from when i was a child that i i would obsess over or i would have to get right like i mentioned it didn't feel right so i'd have to keep saying it or i'd have to keep doing it and it's interesting because when you're a kid people are just like you're just a weird kid yeah <laughs> yeah. You're just a kid. Yeah. Um, but looking back on it, I definitely feel like there were things that I did that um could have definitely attributed to early signs of it. Okay. So once you kind of had that thought of like, I don't think this is what everybody else is going through, I think what what were your next steps in kind of getting help or figuring it out? 
so that actually wasn't even what triggered me getting help. Okay. Um, it wasn't enough. It was something that I was like, I had it in my mind that you didn't need help with something like that, or you didn't need to go to somebody about things like that or symptoms like that unless it was preventing you from doing your everyday things. Okay. So checking my alarm at night was not preventing me from going to sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, checking the backseat of my car did prevent me from leaving at the time I wanted to leave, but it didn't prevent me from getting my life on. So I didn't think it was really affecting things. Okay. What really triggered it was my obsessive thoughts about um, my husband, your, your brother, John, mm-hmm. um, I, I became obsessed with the idea that he was seeing other people behind my back. And if any of you listening know John, <laughs> or even if you don't, I can tell you that that is 100% not a thing. No. That is... Never would he ever do that. <laughs> never. Yeah. But I couldn't control it. Mm-hmm. I couldn't control it. And there were times when it would get so bad, I would audibly say to myself, stop it. Mm-hmm. Stop thinking about this. Yeah. Stop. Just stop. Because it was exhausting and it was depressing and it was the first year of our marriage. So, of course, not only do you have the thoughts that that's happening, but you have the thoughts, did I make a mistake? Should I have not married someone that was cheating on me? Is it my best friend? Is it the people he works with? Mm -hmm. Here are the names of the people that I know it could be. And it, it just snowballs into this massive thing that fills your entire brain, fills all your thoughts And it got to the point where he sat down with me and he was like, I think we need to talk about this. Mm -hmm. He said, you know, there, I know that there's like jealousy, but this is not that. And I know you can't see it because you're in it, but it is something that we need to talk about. Yeah. And so I ended up going, my work at the time offered a really great program where you could see a counselor, EAP program is what it's called, employee assistance program. And you could go see a counselor for free for six times. And so I did that. And I don't want to get ahead of our conversation, but he was not great. Oh, oh no. He was not great. Um, But after my six sessions with him, he said, I feel like you should still see somebody, so I'm going to refer you to a therapist. And that man was amazing. Okay, good. He's fantastic. The first six sessions, though, he would say things to me. And this is why we'll get into it, Mm -hmm. I think, a little bit. But it is so important that you are comfortable with who you're seeing if you're seeing a therapist or a counselor. It doesn't matter if they're important. You're not there to talk about them. You're not there for their feelings. You are there for you. Mm -hmm. And you are there to take care of yourself. And if they say something that makes you uncomfortable, that's enough to find somebody else. You should never feel uncomfortable. I would tell you, one of the things the counselor said to me was, I told him, here's some of the things that make me anxious. Here are some of the things that make me... And he says, well, did your husband... Has your husband ever cheated on you? No, of course. No, of course he hasn't. Um, He goes, okay. Well, what what do you think is happening? And so I would tell him, like... Well, I know he works with a lot of women, and he goes to lunch with them sometimes, and that gives me anxiety. Um, which I have to say for the record, no, I no longer feel this way. Yeah. And I can't tell you how happy I am that I no longer that you don't feel, have to deal with that anymore. That I don't have to deal with that yeah. anymore. I can't imagine how that made him feel. I don't like to because it makes me very upset. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, like, I, I see him so much clearer. Like, that wasn't about him at all. It was about me. And... And the counselor I was seeing go said looked at me and he goes, well, to be honest with you, if my wife was going to lunch with men, I would also be uncomfortable. So that feels like a valid feeling. Mm-hmm. And I knew it wasn't. I knew it wasn't. <laughs> right. I was like, what are you? You're like, no, you're supposed to be telling me like, what are you <laughs> doing? Yeah. yeah. So that was the first sign that I was uncomfortable with him. But again, I kept going because I'd never been to a counselor or therapist and I didn't know. Yeah. I didn't know what it was supposed to be like. So going to the second therapist that I actually did enjoy going to and was really beneficial that showed me what it's supposed to be like okay well good I'm glad that you were able to find somebody and we'll talk about that but you've since moved so we'll talk about kind of how you Mm -hmm. how you've continued with that um so when when you kind of were going through this obviously your husband my brother knew but did you tell other people kind of what you were going through did you kind of find support through your family and friends or did you keep it to the two of you No, I remember having to tell my boss that I needed to take time off to go see somebody and she was incredibly understanding, but I was 
constantly paired with paired with the obsessions I was paranoid that they were going to find a way to use it against me okay. or they were going to find a way to make sure that I I don't know I don't know what I thought was going to happen yeah. but I was very scared that if people found out that they would treat me differently and honestly now that thought is in the back of my head but a bigger thought is like I don't care yeah that's who I am. It's part right, of me. Right. Okay, so I'm trying to get from your first year of marriage and then you guys lived in Indy for how long Indianapolis for how long? How many years after after you got married? Um Okay, hold on. Let me do this weird math. We we got married in 2010 and we moved here 3 years ago. So we were there 6 years before that. Um 10 years maybe. Okay. Wow. I don't think I realized it was that long. Okay. Yeah. So 10 years. So that's a long time to be, you were in Indianapolis. So away from us, Jonathan's immediate family and your immediate family. Um, I mean, I know they're in Indiana, but not super close. They were a few hours away. Um, So how in those 10 years did you kind of manage this um, aside from that first year where you found your therapist or? Yeah. Yeah. It was a lot of seeing my therapist and then being open with John, my husband, about it, I could not have, I absolutely could not have had what it took, the the guts or the even, not even guts, just I, I would not have been able to go see somebody and I would not have been able to try to find a solution for this if it wasn't for him. He was very encouraging. He stayed by my side when it was like really bad mm-hmm. And, um, he made it feel like it's fine. This is fine. All we have to do is find something that's going to work for you Mm -hmm. and then it's fine. Yeah. So, um, I will, I do want to touch on the fact that I do take medication for it. I think that that is a stigma that people also have about mental health. It's okay to take medication. It is very okay. It's not okay to see somebody that's a therapist and have them say, let's go ahead and get you on medication and then we'll discuss things. I think that you need to figure out that that's what's right for you. Don't ever let somebody push you into it or make you feel like that's the only resort, but I absolutely need it. I absolutely can tell when I'm not on it. My husband can tell when I'm not on it. Mm -hmm. People know when I'm not on it because it doesn't allow me to, it doesn't, control it any longer obviously when I'm not on it so it's hard but that was something that really helped was being able to start medication I started talking to my family about it um and I think that that's really where the majority of my support came from okay how does it affect your daily life now or kind of pass in throughout the last several years how does it affect your daily life the way now I, I see it come across most often is when when I think um, so let me give you a for instance if if I'm if I'm with my family and I say something and we're just having a normal conversation and then on the way back home I start to think about what I said mm-hmm. and then I think about I wonder if they took that the wrong way. I hope they didn't take that the wrong way. That's that's not something that I meant. And, and it will bother me until I call them and say, remember when I said this? Yeah. And they will always say, not really. <laughs> right. Because most of the time, I talked about this with somebody else on an episode, uh, most of the time, what you think other people are thinking, they are not <laughs> thinking. We Our fear kind of just like puts those thoughts mm-hmm. in our head. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the way that it comes across now the most is... In a way that if I can't get it out of my head that something that someone is feeling a certain way, I have to discuss it with them and and then we're okay. But um, another thing that I do is if I'm if I'm really stressed out, again, I said it, it comes yeah. through harder when I'm stressed out. When I'm having a stressful time, I will um, check our doors more often. Okay. Um, I can't remember it's like the second I turn around and get in my car I can't remember locking it one of the things my therapist told me to work through is he said but you would remember if it was unlocked 
I'm like, yeah, I would, but I can't remember that it is locked. Mm -hmm. And I know that sounds kind of mixed up, but like, so I know, and that's, that's immediately a sign in my head that I need to either relax or calm or find a solution immediately because it's getting, it's getting bad again. So, um, I think that that's how I deal with it. That's the, those are the types of things that I do most. I, I very much need a job where I can control a lot of elements. Okay. And I've realized that about myself too. And Mm -hmm. again, it'll, it'll show itself differently to people. You have to figure out what works best for you. So I've had jobs where I, I am very much like in control of the situation. I can do things that I'm in control of. I planned events and I could control every aspect of those. Right. Um, it's no good to try to ignore it. Yeah. You know, it's best to try to facilitate it in a healthy way. Right. So, um, now so you I get more stressed in situations that like, you're not, you're not the one calling the shot. You're not in control. Yeah. Yeah. I or, um, yes, that's just, yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, you kind of touched on this a little bit. One of the things I want to talk about when it comes to mental illness is that it doesn't really go away. Like, I don't want people to get the impression that because you're on therapy and medication, like everything's fine. Like there will be times where it comes back um, and probably for the rest of your life. Like it's manageable. Mm-hmm. You have the tools to help you manage it, but you're going to need those tools <laughs> moving forward. So do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, okay. I absolutely think that's a thing that is just... And it, it feels defeatist a little bit, but yeah. it's not. It's actually more comfort comforting to know that you have your whole life to work on this, I feel like. I feel like I I feel like that when people think that it's curable or you can take medicine and it's gone, you're even more disappointed or discouraged when some of those symptoms come back. Mm-hmm. If you just accept the fact that it's something that's gonna be with you forever, then you can't you can get the opportunities to constantly work on it. I'll wake up some days and it's not a good day. Yeah. I just know it's not a good day. Everyone, I say everyone, my dog and my husband are the only people I hang out with really. So they know when it's not a good day and I'll be very vocal about it. I'll say like, you know what? This is not a great day. Yesterday was not a great day for me. And I don't know why I can't put my finger on it. It's just sometimes that will happen. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you you just have to recognize it and not feed it but not ignore it like it's so important to not ignore it it's so important to not say i'm actually better now i'm taking medicine this is not a bad day this is fine this is fine and then just keep trying to ignore it you should recognize it and you should say this is going to be a bad day what can i do to just batten down the hatches and get through it so yeah I've dealt with uh anxiety and depression also and I was kind of getting in the habit of once I was feeling better and I'm putting that in quotes I would stop the medication because I'm like oh I'm better and then I would go back down and be like why (laughs) duh because the medication is keeping you kind of at bay so I think that's a really important thing to remember of like it's not it's not like you have a cold and are just going to take some medicine for a while and then you're going to be fine it's something that you have to live with the rest of your life and I like that you kind of said to, like, embrace it and just know that that's part of you. Yeah, and, and medication doesn't medication doesn't make it better. It just makes it manageable. Yeah. yeah. My, um, I have a friend that describes it in a way where she says that it, it's like when you have something like this, like depression or anxiety or obsessive compulsive disorder that you have to manage on a daily basis instead of feeling like you're running off a cliff and diving medication allows you to stop at the edge of the cliff and not go into a complete spiral it it makes you stop right there and then you can it like levels it off Mm -hmm. i think there's a lot of misconceptions about what medication does it doesn't put you in a weird hazy state because trust me if that were the case there are some days i would take it right i would absolutely (laughs) take it right but it doesn't you you still have it it's still there yeah Absolutely. One of the things my dad used to say uh, is arm yourself with the tools that you need to get through this, which I always will remember because it's like you can't always do this alone. You need therapy. You need medication. You need friends, support in order to kind of move through what what you're going through. Um, Are there more misconceptions that you wanted to discuss? I know we touched on that right in the beginning, but is there any more you wanted to say on that um, yeah, absolutely. I know that I touched on it's it's different for every single person. So 
you know, just in life in general, generalizing groups of people is not a good thing because it everybody's life is different. Everybody's experience is different. I think one of the things that triggered me to start really like putting it out there to start really like making people understand that it's okay to have this and it's okay to talk about was um I did take the chance one time and I put on Facebook it was like mental health awareness month Mm -hmm. or something and I read a really great article about obsessive compulsive disorder and I wanted to share it with people because it really showed you what it was like in the day of someone with this and I put it on Facebook and I thought this is such a great opportunity for me to really put this out there and to really start fighting the stigma. And someone, I have a mutual friend with one of my best friends and she sent her a private message and she said, this is so weird that Sarah posted this because I've seen her car and it is not clean. So I can't, I don't know what she's talking about, which for the record, my car is never clean. First of all, like it is disgusting. That's okay. I feel like sometimes that's actually part of it, which is is, so funny, which is so funny because you think it's being clean all the time. It's being a certain way all the time and being afraid to be a different way and to change the path. So she said, so my, my best friend of course was like, you are weird. Like, don't say stuff like that. Yeah. Like, don't, don't generalize that. Like, I can't believe you said that. Yeah. OCD is not a clean car. Those those two things are not the same. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Yeah. Cleaning is just something that could happen because of it. Um, But as I mentioned, it can just as easily be, I feel more comfortable and more safe always having like three sweaters Mm -hmm. and six empty cups and like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Yeah. And that, that, that is part of it too. So. And when you're depressed, cleaning, oh, at least for me, is like the last thing, like, you you don't want to do anything like even the Mm -hmm. thought of doing the dishes is like seems like the biggest chore in the world so sometimes messy is actually a sign of anxiety and depression yeah absolutely and it's and it's so it wasn't that I posted that on Facebook it was her saying that that made me realize like um not okay yeah it is time for people to feel okay with saying these types of things about themselves it's part of who you are you should never have to hide it yeah if you could control it you wouldn't have it so it's not something you control um i would say another thing i had a thought i can't yeah i think well i think what drives me i i hate when people joke about it sort of like well i'm a little ocd Mm. (laughs) it's like that's not funny like ocd is a legitimate thing that people really struggle with and yeah it just, it bothers me a lot. And so kind of playing into that, one of the listeners asked, how does the media kind of play into that? Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like that's a thing a lot on, on TV shows is the label of OCD is just thrown around a lot. Um, so if you notice that and if you have, like, how does that make you feel and how are you trying to change the narrative of that is what this person asked. I think when I was first diagnosed, I was much more hyper aware of it because I was insecure about it. Um, And so I remember someone saying, uh, I followed this this group that did these fun deals. Like if you saw a deal at Walmart or Target or something, they would put it up and they put a label maker up and they said, for those of you who are obsessive compulsive about things being labeled or OCD about things, no one says says the real words, but OCD about it. And I wrote them the longest letter about how this is actually something that people fight with. And, you know, it. I, I felt good about sending that to them. And they were like, we're very sorry. Um, they didn't remove it, so mm-hmm. they weren't sorry. But um, so things like that, I was much more sensitive about then. And it's okay to always be sensitive about it, for the record. Yeah. But now I... I am secure in the fact that I know that's not who I am. That's not who the disease is. And I I let it go a little bit more than I used to. Like, there's a show we watch, always. it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And there's this episode where Charlie's mom, um, she adjusts this picture frame three times. And she goes, one, two, three, one, two, three. They're like, why are you doing that? And she's like, so Charlie doesn't die. I have to do it so he doesn't die. And in my head, that was very funny. In somebody else's head that has it, that cannot be funny. Mm-hmm. Like, that, that it's okay for you to feel... I mean, that's just what being... That's just what being 
a person is. Like, some things make you feel uncomfortable and some things make you feel comfortable. I think that the media does a poor job of representing what it is because um, there are shows and things that do jokes about it and some things you'll find funny, some things you'll find offensive. But as far as the actual media coverage goes on it, it's always attached to something bad. Yeah. It's always attached to something really bad. I know that MTV did a show once on very long time ago on obsessive compulsive behavior and they found the people that were not managing it well Mm -hmm. they weren't doing anything to really manage it and they had very very severe tics and physical ones that you could see and I think that if the idea for the show was to help get awareness out there I would have seen it differently but it was not I feel like it was it was it just didn't feel good it it felt dirty it felt like they were exposing these people for sake of ratings so that they can say like look at this weirdo look at what they do like man if you put your deodorant on six times in a row because it doesn't feel right then whoa you're totally weird you're so ocd about Mm -hmm. that no that's that's not right i hate when things are shown only in their most extreme visual ways Mm -hmm. I feel terrible for those people that have that because that is a real thing. But at the same time, that doesn't mean I have less of it because I don't do that. Well, and they don't show, they never, at least I have never seen on media, maybe they haven't, I just haven't seen it, the side of it, the depression side of it. Like how, just how debilitating it can be. And like somebody is probably laying in their bed right now with all these thoughts in their head that they can't get rid of and it's dragging them down and they never show that side of OCD Mm -hmm. I feel like it's always the ticks or the cleaning or keeping things straight and tidy it's never the whole picture Mm -hmm. so that that's kind of what irritates me about it yeah and there's there's this part in um goodwill hunting where he says it's not your fault it's not your fault and it's been mocked multiple times but that really hits home with me because my therapist did sit down with me and he said you're having bad thoughts Mm -hmm. and it's okay because you can't control them. Yes. Stop blaming yourself for it. Right. And he said it a couple of times, like in that movie. And I was just like, no, no, no I know. I, I know. I just want to try to do it. And, the, and then it got to the point where I was just like, thank you for yeah. saying that. Because I do have awful thoughts. Mm-hmm. I do have really awful thoughts. And I, the fact that you are allowing me to say, I can't control this. This is out yeah. of my control. That is just... That was very freeing. That was very like, okay, well, what can I do to control? What can we yeah. do? And is that something you repeat to yourself now? Of like, this isn't my fault. This isn't my fault. Or like, um, yeah. Yeah. Some things I do repeat to myself are, um, I like to, in my mind, actually visualize myself taking a step back. Okay. Like taking a step back from this and saying, what is this? That's What are you really thinking about here? What is really happening here? And it's important to, it's important to do to say what is really happening here. And my medication and my therapy are what have allowed me to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. If somebody is not getting help in the proper way and they're trying to control it on their own, it's, it's not going to be easy. You're not going to be able to do that. Right. Because you can't tell the difference. You can't stop. Yeah. You can't, you can't tell the difference between an obsessive thought and a rational Mm -hmm. real life thought. Okay. That makes Um, sense. So, those are those are some of the things that I have to do. I have to take a step back and say like, and like I mentioned before, just being aware of it happening, mm-hmm. and being aware that it's something that you have to deal with and that you have to remind yourself of. Right. Those are things. Okay. Yeah. Someone had asked if you do any self-talk or restructuring strategies that have been helpful. I think you just answered that. Um, but is there anything else that you can think of that you would do? Um... I have tried to figure out ways for my physical tics, like checking the door to see if it's locked and things like that. Um, I have tried to figure out ways to better remember it because as I I had mentioned, I'll get in my car and I won't remember it being locked, but I will remember if I like sing a song about it or, you know, like with checking things. So I do that. I do... As I had mentioned, it's so important to be able to take a step back and think, is this a rational thought? Is this an irrational thought? Mm -hmm. And honestly, self is important and self-awareness is important, but my husband does so much for me 
as far as support and um, talking to me. And, and it is so important that he points out to me, like, I feel like we, mm-hmm. we just have... I, we just have such a great relationship that he can actually say to me, like, this feels like an irrational thought. Mm-hmm. Think about it. Right. And that's really helpful, too. It's yeah. just having, I mean, obviously I have a wonderful family that supports me and wonderful second family yeah. that supports me, you guys. And, um, but those are things I have to tell myself. Um, that was, you just led into my next question, which was how can people support someone in their life who has OCD? So if they have a family member or a friend who has it. How can I, is it like what doing what he does? Um, I think starting with asking them how they want to be supported okay. is important. Everybody doesn't like that real talk. That's true. Yeah. Um, for me, the best way to support me, and I, I think that this is probably something that helps a lot of people, is to just, first of all, not act like it's a super sensitive thing to talk about because that adds to the stigma that we don't want that that's not something we want we don't want you to have to pretend like it's this monster in the room that if you talk about it it's going to attack you mm-hmm. um i think the best way to support somebody after you ask them about it if, if they're okay with you being completely real with them do it but do it in a way that's not attacking like yeah Be john my husband doesn't He's not rude or abrasive or, like, it's not a, it's not a clap back. It's not a, you know, situation where he's, like, angry about it. Mm-hmm. He's just like, hey, this sounds like you're either spiraling or this sounds like you're not thinking rationally. Like, what can we do? And then just listening to that. Again, it's, it's a lot of self-awareness. It's a lot of being able to swallow that and say, you're right. You're right. I am being like this Mm -hmm. so um and i think supporting people also by not generalizing and not pretending like you know what it is you don't right you don't know what it is no what would you tell someone who maybe suspects they have ocd or maybe who was just diagnosed and trying to figure all this out um i'll tell you what i would say to you where i am now but I don't know that I would have listened to it when I was first diagnosed. And that is, that's fair. That is talking to people about it, Mm -hmm. telling people about it. I'm not saying that you need to go into an interview and say, you know, hi, my name is Sarah. I have obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, Talk about it in a way you would talk about anything else going on with you. Talk about it in a way that, um, don't be afraid to explain to somebody if you're, if you are acting a certain way, don't be afraid to say, I'm sorry, you know, I, I just have to make sure that you are okay with this conversation. I keep thinking about it and replaying it. That's part of what I do. But if, if it's okay, it's fine. Um, I would say getting really familiar with it, getting really familiar with what it is specifically to you and what you do. Um, I kept a notebook for a while that had the different kinds of obsessive thoughts and I would tick off the ones that I had so that I could see where my brain went the most often. I'll tell you mine was, um, mine was always worst case scenario, worst case scenario, um, in everything, everything I always just jumped to the most awful worst case scenario about what was going to happen. And I still struggle with that sometimes. Um, so I did that. I just think the most important thing is embracing it. It's who you are. It's part of you. It's not something wrong with you. Mm-hmm. It's just something that is, it's part of you. It's right. not going to go away. It's just how you think. And kind of, I think it's kind of, in a way, nice to know how you think. Not everyone knows how they think. And you know what triggers you. You know what you know how you think so just just be hyper aware of it for a while just really embrace it yeah and don't be ashamed find a therapist definitely do that i mean if if you've been diagnosed i I would assume you're already seeing somebody but if you think you have it talk to a therapist find a therapist there there are ways you can find therapists or psychiatrists or psychologists that specialize in it Mm -hmm. i would suggest trying to find someone that specializes in it
some other insight um, from someone else on kind of, because you moved, so you probably had to leave your therapist that you were seeing. I did. Yeah. It was awful. I called them like, I wasn't panicking, but I did call them and I was like, can I still see you? And he was like, not really. (laughs) I was like, well, I can. And you guys, so where my therapist is to where I live now is about four hours away. And I would ask him, four and a half, I would ask him, like, can I just see you every six months and I will drive down there just to see you? And, you know, he was just kind of like, I don't think that's healthy. Like, I don't think that, I don't think that you can not not find somebody Mm -hmm. up there. Right. And so I asked him for referrals and he didn't know anybody up here, unfortunately. I asked if we could do phone sessions. So... (laughs) it was well it's hard because once you find a good one especially you were with him for 10 years right um yeah eight five or eight yeah Yeah. and I I went from having to see him every week to seeing him once every couple of months yeah so it it really was yeah it's hard to leave when you find a good one I think so how did you find a new therapist once you moved well and did you do it right away well let me start with it is hard to find a good one. Yeah. But once you do, you know. Yeah. I can't stress enough. If you have to go through 15 therapists to find one that you know is good, that yeah. you know you're comfortable with, then go through 15. Mm-hmm. It's like you, dating, kind of. You, you have to right. You have to sort of pick. Do not settle. I shared this on, on the episode where I talked about therapy, but I had one <laughs> that I tried to find shortly after my dad died. And one of the things that I'm really afraid of is having kids, which is a whole other topic for another day. Um, but I told her that and she was like, I think you'll be fine. And I was like, <laughs> like, we're not going to like talk about this or explore it. She just kind of yeah. ripped me off and that I didn't see her again. I was mm-hmm. like, nope, I need someone who's going to listen to me. So I think it does take time. And I would say don't get discouraged to people who are like not able to find one right away because it does yeah. it does take a while to find yeah. a good one. And don't get in your head that it has to be a certain person it, right. it doesn't have to be someone who's young or old or male or female mm-hmm. it, it, it's just that's not what it's about right so um mine was a male but I wasn't comfortable with him because he was a male I was comfortable with him because I truly connected with him and that is so so important yeah um I forgot what the question was because um, I, I think absolutely we, yeah I think, that we, I think <laughs> we I were very... trying to get back to like when you moved here how did you find a therapist here oh you perfect your other one yeah. For so long. yeah um I'm gonna be honest with you I don't have one still okay it has been my my medication comes from my family doctor um he tries to talk to me about it and I'm like I can't with you he has a ponytail <laughs> it's too much yeah that's a different this might go off another tangent again, but that's a different relationship. I feel like mm-hmm. like my my primary care physician knows about everything with me, but mm-hmm. we don't talk about it. She just kind of like you still going cool, <laughs> like yeah. check check it off the chart. And I think he does because he feels like he needs to, and I'm like you don't. Yeah, you don't have to. <laughs> right. You can just it's fine. Yeah. Um. I have tried to find somebody. The thing I keep running into is. Everyone I can find is a recommendation for from somebody else, and I'm not comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. I'm not comfortable. I, I know that there are many people in my life that have said, oh, well, I go to so-and-so. There's a lot of people in his practice. You can see any of them. I'm just, I'm not comfortable with doing that. So I need to find somebody that I'm comfortable with, that I have found that, and it's just, it's not happened yet. Okay. So I've, I, I have honestly, it's, it's been f- okay with me, but there have been so many times when I'm like, I just wish I had somebody. Mm-hmm. So, um, still, still on the hunt. Okay. What do you do to help the people around you understand your obsessive compulsive disorder? I'm honest about it. Mm-hmm. I, I, gosh, that's a good one. I've, I've had it, I've, I've dealt with it for so long that I feel like majority of the people I know. It's interesting because you'll tell people and they will act like, oh, cool. Like, no big deal. Because I know you, I love you, it's fine. I don't care. Or you'll tell people that will really not understand it at all. Like the gal that said she saw my car yeah. and it wasn't clean. Um, so I think... I think I and I feel like a broken record for saying this, but I think just being honest about it and just 
owning it and saying like, well, this is just part of who I am. Mm-hmm. You know, um, this is what I'm going to have to deal with some days. Some days I'm not going to have a great day. And some days I'm going to come into my office and just like shut the door and work. And some days I'm going to need to talk to somebody and some days I'm going to need and just being honest with people I think that they keep it in the back of their heads and once they know you they know that it's not what they thought it was um so for the people around me if I if I'm having a bad day or if I'm obsessing about something I say that I say to my to my mom who I'll call and say remember when I said that this weekend it's really bothering me and I know that you probably haven't thought about it and she's like no I I know you didn't mean it that way that's not something that you would she knows me she knows I would never say something hurtful but um I just tell her like I can't stop thinking about it you know Mm -hmm. that this is something I deal with I and she does know that and she's like no it's totally fine it's totally okay so just being honest with people when you're having one of those moments um you don't have to be honest with everybody, I guess. Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna say, um, I think there are some people who just won't understand it. Maybe mm-hmm. it, it's not something they've ever yeah. dealt with, or they just can't even imagine it. Um, so for those people in your life, do you just kind of like let it let let it go and <laughs> and not not talk about it as much? Or yeah. okay, yeah. Um, don't get me wrong. Like when I talk about telling people about it and being honest with people about it it's the people you're comfortable with like don't not doesn't have to be everybody like i said you don't have to go into an interview and tell people that's what's going on with you you can only you can always tell people whatever you want to tell them but um it's important that you know who your people are yes and it's important that you know that those people support you in your life and if they don't support you at this which is something that is part of who you are and something that you struggle with every day then you should question your relationships with them um because it's not it's not something to be ashamed of nobody should ever make you feel that way but i think that for the people that don't necessarily have that kind of relationship with you or can't respond to it or don't know it um i I, I don't know. I, I've not really run into those kind of people. Um, people I see in the grocery store, people I don't know. If if I'm doing it, I'm just like, I don't care what you think. This yeah. is just... <laughs> so actually, that's kind of one of the things that I wanted to bring up is that everybody who knows you, I think would know you as like a pretty outgoing, mm-hmm. confident <laughs> person. Um, you you are like who you are. Like, I think people describe you as quirky, quote, mm-hmm. quote, because you like knitting and like that's, antiques and things mm-hmm. like that. So... I think I think people are almost going to be surprised to know that you're like struggling with something like this because they're like, but Sarah's so like mm-hmm. happy and confident and funny and and so I think that's one of the misconceptions I wanted to get to is that like OCD, it's not like a picture like it's not not everybody's going to be the same mm-hmm. and you're not going to look a certain way because you have OCD you're not going to act a certain way because you have OCD so can you kind of speak to like your personality and like you're not going to hide who you are because you have like you're not going to let it control everything about you, I guess, is what I'm trying to get at. Yeah, yeah. It's a part of you, but that's all it is, is a part of you. It's, yeah. it's not who you are. And I guess if you're just now getting diagnosed, that can go back to that as well. Like, don't let it define who you are. Mm-hmm. Recognizing it and dealing with it is not who you are. So I like the fact that I am able to... I don't want to say I like that I have it, but I like the fact that I'm able to be that face of somebody who is you know, kind of a happy person and to surprise people with that because it it shakes things up. It shakes their misconceptions up. It it shakes things up in the way that I didn't know you could be like this and still struggle with something like Mm -hmm. this. It makes people rethink what they already knew. And that's what I like about who I am is that I, I am able to talk about it. I am able to to explain to people that nobody is on the surface who you think they are. Yeah. Everybody is struggling with something. Mm-hmm. And just because it doesn't feel as bad as what you're struggling with doesn't mean to them it doesn't feel that bad. And I like I like that I'm able to be this person um, just because yeah. I, I like that I'm able to show a different side of it. Um, 
it is very much something that it's like an invisible struggle. You can be as happy to everyone as you know, or you can be as whatever um, quirky, which I I do like that adjective, so I'm completely cool with that. Um, <laughs> quirky or outgoing or confident or whatever, but you can still struggle with yes, stuff. That's what I was trying to get at. So you can like, be you both. Never, it truly just shows me that you never know that pe- what people are dealing with. Right. Like it just further solidifies that you never know what's going on actually inside somebody's mm-hmm. head or their home. You just, you never know. Yeah. And I, I was very fortunate in my past job to have a leader who I was able to talk to about it. And I said to her, I just want you to know that there's going to be some things that we talk about that I just have to get off my chest. Mm-hmm. And she was awesome. That's she was so good at saying like, okay, that's fine. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, it's, it's going to bother me if I don't say this. And it's a knee-jerk reaction, and I'm going to tell you later I'm sorry for saying this, but, right. like, I have to say this. And she always listened to me, and she was always so good at it. And so um, it's good to recognize when those people are around because you can rely heavily on them. Yeah. Um, so it's good to be able to tell the difference. That's awesome. Um, before we get into the last two questions, is there anything else that we didn't cover that you wanted to talk about? Um... I don't think so. I I wrote in my notes, medication equals okay. So I just want to say that one more time. Um, Yeah, no, I'm glad you said that. I uh, actually just had a conversation at work the other day with somebody who was talking about how she didn't, she didn't want to go on medication because she didn't want to be a zombie all the time. And I was like, I feel like that's, that's not correct. That's not necessarily what's going to happen to you. Um, And similar to that it might take a while to find a good therapist. It might take a while to find a medication that does work. Yes. Oh, that's important, too. Yeah. I'm glad you said that. Yeah. Um, medication affects people differently. And it, it's something that it's not going to... I'm trying to find a way to say it, it. It helps you. It doesn't control you. And honestly, it's a better feeling to know that you have control over some part of it than to be somebody that has these thoughts and feelings that you can't control. I can't stress to you enough how awful that feels Mm -hmm. to not be able to control your own thoughts, to not be able to control how you feel, to not be able to control your own body. I mean, it's, it's a terrible feeling. It is truly awful. I'm glad you kind of summed it up with that because not that I want to end on like that note, but I'm, I'm, I want people to understand how hard OCD is, Mm -hmm. that it's not, it's hard it can be debilitating it can leave you with depression so i'm glad that you kind of stressed that like it you wouldn't you wouldn't want that for anybody no yeah yeah. and i i am speaking in a way because i've been dealing with it so long that i know my i know how i can help manage it but if we would have had this interview yesterday Mm -hmm. i'm telling you it was a bad day yesterday yeah and i would have absolutely had a different outlook on it probably and those happen once in a while and i i constantly try to figure out what triggers them i constantly try to figure it out but sometimes it's just nothing yeah and sometimes i say well you know i love to go thrift store shopping i'll go to a thrift store and that'll make me feel better well yesterday it did not it made me feel worse Mm -hmm. (laughs) so there's no so it is hard and it is something that i make sound manageable because it is, but I've, I've had it for so long. I was going to say, it is now, yeah. It is yeah. now. Yeah, before, we're not talking to you 10 years ago when you were, like, just kind of starting to realize that you had yeah. it, yeah. And if you talk to the people around me 10 years ago, they would tell you that it was not good. It's right. not a good situation. And and having to deal with it, I guess <coughs> I would also tell somebody that is just diagnosed that also, like, you'll eventually find ways to deal with it. Mm-hmm. You'll eventually find ways to manage it, and it will eventually become part of you, but... It is hard. It is hard. Yeah. It is not an easy thing to deal with. Um, okay. <clears throat> Ooh. So as you know, my dad always used to say, build each other up, don't tear each other down. And so I ask everybody to give me somebody that they want to build up. <gasps> oh. <laughs> That's such a good one. <clears throat> it can one. be like a group of people. It can be somebody who's helped you. It can be like a shout out to somebody who you know is struggling. You don't have to say their name if you don't want to. I've gotten all different kinds of responses to this question yeah i i'm really into lately um if somebody tells me something that's like i want to do this insert really huge decision yeah 
I'm really into like looking them in the eyes and saying, do it. Mm-hmm. You should do that. I know somebody that I remember was like, last year, <coughs> you were like, it's 2018, do it. <laughs> you were just very into like, who cares? It's 2018. Do it. That was like your tagline. Do it because mm-hmm. I'll tell you something huge that happened with John and I was we moved here. We love the city of Detroit. We love being here. We feel the most genuine versions of ourselves that we've ever felt being here. Mm -hmm. And that was a huge decision to make. And we just did it. And usually if you have something in there... So those are the people I want to build up right now. If you're thinking about making a huge move, if you're thinking about doing something, your body and your mind are not lying to you. It's something that you either need, a change you need, or something that you know that you'll regret not doing later. I Even as crazy as someone I know told me that they spent a lot of time in Europe recently and they think that they want to try to move there or they want to like get a visa or something. And I was, I looked right at him and I was like, do it. And he was like, oh, I know. Right. And I was like, no, do it. Mm -hmm. Really do it. He's also someone that I know is unhappy with what he's doing right now. And I'm like, just do it. I can't. No, I'm, I'm just laughing because someone else <clears throat> recently said it in uh, in an interview. They said, "Just do it." Did I make that up? And I was like, "No, <laughs> no." <laughs> but yeah, I think I want to build people up that are that are trying to figure out whether or not they want to do it. And I I say, do it. It's 2019. Just do it. Exactly. <clears throat> <clears throat> okay. Last question is to give a fun recommendation. So something that you've been reading or listening to or even a restaurant that you really like lately. Something fun. Um, I have a couple of things, if that's okay. Yes. Um, one, I'm listening to Lizzo on repeat all day, every day right now. I have never listened to somebody that has given me more female power and more confidence than her. I listen to her all the way here because I was nervous about this interview. I listen to her at work every day. She is just, it's hard to find people that sing about things that aren't sad or aren't relationship based that I can't, I can't relate to that. I can't relate to somebody singing about, um, loss or breakups or things like that but I can relate to somebody that's singing about power and um what they think you sh- how you- they think you should feel every day so I'm really into her right now um there's this book I'm reading right now called uh women food and god that I'm really into also and it's awesome because it talks about your relationship with food. And I don't think I necessarily have a bad relationship with food, but I do emotionally eat. And it's helping me start to do some real self-work on emotionally eating. Um, and then finally, I'm really into um, Gary V, who's Gary Vaynerchuk, who is like this really incredibly i'm warning you now if you ever try to listen to him incredibly aggressive motivational guy but he is he is just in your face this is what needs to be done makes me Mm want to get it done so those are the things i guess i'm just really into self-power right now Mm -hmm. so anything that's building that up has been really great lately yeah i should also say that you're a very like female empowerment strong woman (laughs) encourager which i appreciate about you also anything else you want to share before we close i don't think so um i i've said a couple of times about my spouse and how supportive he is and this is just you know girl power spouse power self power If, if you are also with somebody that's not supporting you in this leave yeah do it do it. Just, 2019. It's 2019. It's 2019. Do it. Because you can't do, you cannot, you can't do this alone. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You need somebody to support you through, through what you're going through. So thank you, Sarah, for doing this. I think this will really help people understand what obsessive compulsive disorder actually is. And I would just like to leave on a note of reminding people to try not to joke about it or just like categorize it or just mm-hmm. kind of like use it as an adjective or tell your coworker, oh my God, you're so OCD. Because again, as we've said several times in this episode, there are people who are actually dealing with obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, so I'm, I'm gonna put a link to probably some resources where people can learn more about it.
Do you have social media that you wanted to share or no? Not necessarily. Okay. Like, I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> I will say that Sarah's the reason that I started doing my, like, 365 Days of Gratitude, because you did it that one year, and I've just followed suit and done it every yeah. year. So I, I do <laughs> still try to post one pic to Instagram every day, and over the years I've done it, it's really been a good way to look back. Absolutely. And, it, and it's really a great way to show gratitude. Yes. It is, like, it forces me to find something good in every day, even on the really bad days. I'm like... What was one thing that brought me a little bit of joy today? <laughs> Even if it was a song or a text message, anything. So it's been it's been an eye-opening experience. Um, if anybody has questions for Sarah, then you can email me at shinealightpod at gmail.com. And that's it. So thank you. 